50 minutes, the average amount of time Facebook says that a user spends each day on either Facebook or Facebook, Instagram, or Messenger. That's actually maybe that does, high as I would have expected. Maybe that doesn't sound like so much, but there are only 24 hours in a day and the average person sleeps for 8.8 of them. That means more than one-sixteenth of the average American's waking time is spent on Facebook. I still would have expected more. <laughs> Man, one-sixteenth. I hate this kind of music. <laughs> it's so poppy and dancey. I like it. It's just like a good, like, feel-good summer music, you know, summer song. Like, you want to have the windows down. I don't know. You sure you don't want to count down? Yeah, positive. <laughs> People enjoy that, Thomas. That's part of our ritual. You got to have rituals. So we have gags and then we have rituals, right? So, right. so a ritual is something that you want to keep going. A gag is something that has a shelf life. Yeah, I think the countdown has a shelf life. Um, that's what she said. Yeah. See, that's a gag. Um, Especially because so I didn't I, know you were leaving it in every week. <laughs> But people like it. Uh, Evernote. I've, I've been using Evernote a lot. Yeah. So you've come back around. I've come. Well, uh, oops. So the reason I've been using Evernote so much is because I got the new iPad Pro. Right. Not, yes. Not the big one. Right. I, I got the uh, the tiny one. The mini version of the iPad Pro, which is like well, it's a nine point seven. It's, it's oh, the same okay, size. Okay. Not the mini version. The normal size. Not the big size. Okay. Yeah, so th there's the 12, whatever. Which, by the way, there. just as a brief aside, we were having this conversation about their laptop lineup. Like, they need to simplify their lineups, right? I mean, their tablet lineup and their laptop lineup, just there are too many size options right now that don't really make all complete sense. And yeah, so, right, because we're like, how do we talk about the iPad? We're like, oh, no, no, it's this inch one, not that one. And that's just, that's too complicated. Well, see, you, you've already made a mistake there because you said, how do we talk about the iPad? Right. Yeah, or Phil Schiller use, tweeted out. Right. We're not supposed to use direct objects. It's just iPad. It's just iPad and iPhone, which is uh, insane marketing. And I, But I say it. I say iPad, iPhone. Like, oh, I've got to get my – no, I've got to get – how did I say it the other day? I said it in a meeting and someone was like, what? And I was like, that's how they want you to call these things. Right. But it, but it, but it, not everyone calls it that. So it, it doesn't it, – it hasn't completely worked. I mean everybody says like they put an object marker, right, whether it's a personal pronoun or, you know, possessive or a direct object marker or an indirect object marker, right? I'm going to – you know, hey, give me my iPhone. You don't say, hey, give me iPhone. Well, uh, yes, but even tech blogs – Well, tech blogs do it, but – okay. Well, they, they've admitted that, that Apple's marketing people have contacted them and said, hey – we're not going to give you any more exclusives and we're not going to give you a product. We're not going to, you know, give you information if you keep referring to our devices this way. You know, the, the, here's our technical name for it. Right. Yeah. But it's also kind of like, why are they putting so much energy into forcing people to not follow conventions of the English language when they could be putting the energy into something else? Like, I don't know, cleaning up their lines, you know, their product lines. Or <laughs> Thomas, you maybe need to, you need you to know, think maybe different. Maybe we could actually by now have a waterproof iPhone or at least a water resistant iPhone. I mean, come on, it's 2016. Like, Maybe they should put some more energy into that instead of no, you can't call it the iPhone. Think different, Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, so uh, that, that's part of it, right? Yeah, it's it's interesting though, and and with you talk about the iPad Air, and then we had the MacBook Airs, and those look like they're being slowly uh, phased out, sort of uh, phased out, right, in favor of MacBook and in favor of the Pro line, which right? makes so sense. I, I mean, that's I think that's a good way to do it. Well, that's how it was originally, right. and then MacBook Air came in as kind of this medium thing. And, and part of it was, I mean, from what I understand, Steve Jobs always intended for the MacBook Air to, or and Johnny Ive, intended for that to be something that pushed the platform, the MacBook platform forward, right. not necessarily as a channel to itself. And, uh, you know, between having an iPad Air and all that stuff, I think they lost some of that. But just like they're phasing out, you know, the i and i products, you know, it's not... It's not the Apple iWatch. It's Apple watch. watch. Yeah. Right. So, and uh, I've got this Apple uh, iPad now, um, which I I bet you know not not too distant future it'll be the Apple Pad, which sounds weird, um, but it's a fantastic device. I mean, I've had iPads going back to the first one, and I stood in line for the second one, and the whatever the third one was called, um, and then I, I kind of weaned off like everyone else did, weaned myself off of using tablets because the phones got bigger, and I had my MacBook or my Ubuntu laptop or whatever, yeah. and I didn't have a place for it. But uh, I was 
I had to go to Best Buy to, you know, I had to go right. buy a new laptop for work. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so I was I was going to get a Windows laptop because I'm, I, you know, a pretty big Windows user and I, I like Windows a lot. And, um, you know, it's it's suits what I do with with the marketing work. And it was going to be a work laptop. Uh, so I had all intentions of doing that. And I walk in and I was just kind of playing with the big iPad and thought, hmm, you know, like this keyboard's kind of good, you know, and I. I always had that dream when I was using an iPad of using that as my laptop. Um, so I ended up walking out with the iPad Pro, and then I went back the next night, and I bought the Apple Pencil. Yeah, I know. How was that? <laughs> uh, so it yeah, I get in the car. your life. Yeah. <laughs> I, I looked at Mariana. We just finished dinner, and the the kid had been put down. And I said, "Hey, I, I got to go to the store. I'll, you know, I got to got to go buy something." And she was like, "Ugh." So you know, I'm halfway there, and she texts me like. Okay, on your way back from Best Buy, when you buy the Apple Pencil, you know, please pick up whatever. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, so the iPad Pro is the only iPad at, at this point that works with the Pencil, but it's it's pretty magical. And uh, yeah, it's it's Apple marketing, and it, it, you have to charge it in kind of a stupid way. You you plug the right. nib of the Pencil into the iPad port, and they're still using Lightning. It's not USB Type C, which is kind of annoying, but um, it's it's a nice experience, it really is, and and I got the the stupid hundred and fifty dollar keyboard that you know probably a, a twenty dollar Belkin keyboard would be yeah. just as functional and, and good for it. But it's got a cool kind of magnet folding shape to it, so it's it's like origami. Um, but I, I've been using this thing as my my daily driver for my laptop. So so let me ask you, you this know. then: How do you? Okay, so the main thing, one of the main things that's kept me from going completely that way is a lack of kind of a truly accessible file system on iOS. So how do you get around that? Of course, we have Dropbox and you can like, yeah, you can open this in pages or all that stuff, whatever. Um, but has that been an issue for you, not having kind of a native file system? And that's a great question. And if you live in Apple's uh, ecosystem, it's it's fairly easy to make that work. Uh, but I don't, you know, I'm sitting in front of a Windows machine and I have an Android phone. I have an iPhone too, but you know my personal phone is the Android phone, and the work phone is the iPhone. Um, so it, you know, even things like like mail, right? So the, the default for so many programs is just to use the mail program on iPad, right? Right. And I use Google Inbox or you know, Gmail, and you you know you can set that up and make it work. It's a little fuzzy, and it's it's not as clean of an experience, and everything's in a different spot. Um, but that's gotten a little better. It's still kind of a, a nerdy thing to have to set up, um, but when it comes to files, like this morning, I had a had a PDF that I needed to sign, so I dropped it in Evernote and then went over to the iPad and picked it up out of Evernote, signed it, and you know saved it back in Evernote. Then it was back on the desktop, um, which you know still having to do that in 2016 seems strange. Like there should be an easier way to right, and I'm sure there is an easier way to pop that in, but. Um, yeah, it, it's gotten a little better. And, you know, Apple has that save sheet or the, the what's it called? Uh, the save option where so if you open a document or if you um, are saving something, you can say save in another app or, right. you know, save in this place. So, yeah, mostly it's, it's Dropbox or even, you know, Google Drive or Evernote. But I've been basically using Evernote a great deal because of the annotations that are built in yeah. to the app. Um, so, uh, you know, I was in a board meeting yesterday and we had – you know, 30 page document that we we're going through and marking up. So, you know, I was just sitting there with my Apple pencil looking like a nerd and, and yep. doing it on the iPad. Um, but, you know, when I saved it, I was able to, to share it back out with a couple of colleagues there and, and they they were impressed by it. Um, so it's, it, it feels like it's gotten better. It's still not a hundred percent and there is no file system, but uh, everything works a little easier now. It's not as, not as tied down to the Apple stuff, you know? So, you don't have to open this note in notes or you don't have right. to open a document in pages. You, you can open it in Word or in, you know, any type of PDF app or Evernote or whatever. Um, so, yeah, so Evernote, I'm, I'm kind of using it as, as the linchpin behind all of that because we, we use Trello, right, um, yeah. which is a web-based thing, right? So uh, that's what we primarily use for all of our getting stuff done type thing in, in the company. And, you know, all the contractors we use, uh, you know, have Trello and, and that's kind of the, a great place to keep things business related. But then when it comes to, I mean, kind of like you, like the research I do, or, or if I'm marking something up, I've just been throwing it in Evernote rather than like Dropbox. 
and kind of keeping the final final stuff in Dropbox. Yeah, that's, and, that's kind of that's I, I would say that's how I do it too. Yeah, like final versions are like traditional files in Dropbox. Yeah, but, right, right. Because right, for, for so long know, I've been using Dropbox and all that's yeah, and for so long I've been using Dropbox is kind of like the right, like the idea place and and keep all the research there and put everything in one file and that's that client's file. Um, right, and it, it just gets unwieldy, especially if, if you're working with people. Um, so I don't know, I like it. Yeah. Well, so I, I haven't, I didn't, I have not yet gotten any new Apple products recently, though I'm going to, I'm just desperately waiting for their June announcement about how they're going to change their laptop line. And, um, I will be buying a new laptop later this summer once they do that. So I'm excited about yeah. that. Um, but I did finally get a new bag. You did. Yes. Which I know that you've been, you were waiting as anxiously as I was, I think, for it. I think more anxiously. Um, I had a conversation with my wife about yeah. this. Yeah, it, um, it is absolutely, I, I think, a fantastically beautiful bag. Um, I might have posted a picture or two of it. I posted a, I don't know if you saw, on Snapchat, right, we were talking about this before the, you know, the pre-show, um, post a little Snapchat story about it, or a couple of different videos. It's uh, from Satchel and Page, it's called the four-way briefcase. Because uh, you can carry it by the handle, by a shoulder strap, um, by it has two extra straps that you can hook on his backpack straps, and then another strap that um, hooks on the back where you can slide it over, uh, like your luggage when you're wheeling your luggage, which is fantastic because there are two straps. There's kind of these straps that go around the whole piece, two of them around the whole uh, briefcase, and on the back it's open enough uh, to where you can like fold a paper in half and slide it in there. Oh, which, I didn't know yeah, I had that. Which is great. And then where that's kind of that section, you take this extra strap, put it in there, buckle it, and that's what slides over your luggage to you huh. know, hold it on the the handle of your luggage. So it's you know, so that's great. So that's why they call it the four-way briefcase. Um, it is it does not have much in the way of internal organization. It has a laptop slot and it has um, a, a couple slots for pens, for cards, and then kind of one other extra pocket that you could drop your phone in. My iPhone 6 Plus fits in there. And then um, a hook on the inside to hook your keys to. Uh, so that's it. But um, Which is good. I mean, I, I, carry, I have like a North Face backpack that I carry when I have to throw a lot of stuff in or from traveling. And the thing I don't like about it is that it's got so many pockets and little places right. to put things so, and it's like uh just so that's kind of been my default space. so the bag i've been carrying i got a number of years ago it's a briggs and riley backpack um briggs and riley if you don't know fantastic kind of high-end luggage company um lifetime warranty on other products no questions asked right i mean you can't beat that right this is how you right? this is what <laughs> you can tell you used to be a salesperson for them <laughs> oh, so yeah well actually so i used to work for sam i used to manage a samsonite and um we had a high-end store where we sold like samsonite or high-end line and then also Briggs and Riley to me and some of those brands. Uh, and so one of the things I loved about this Briggs and Riley bag is it had so much organization, but was still had still a, a really kind of thin form factor. Um, so I really liked that, but, you know, kind of getting out of that carrying, you know, trying to cut down on my daily carry, like, you know, we've talked about this, I have different levels. I have kind of a, an everyday carry that's like just my pockets, which I really don't like to do. Then I have my mod, which is kind of the next step up for my everyday carry uh, from This Is Ground. And then I've got like a bag, which now is my Satchel and Page briefcase. And um, so I'm really trying to cut down on kind of the unnecessary things that I carry that I'm like, well, I might need this. Uh, like, for instance, I keep a – what, and this will go back in my bag, but I keep a corkscrew in my bag. Because <laughs> like I've been – not stranded necessarily, but I've been in a number of situations where it's like, oh, we have a bottle of wine. We don't have a way to open it. And you can do the shoe oh, trick totally. and things like that. But, <laughs> but, right. Yeah. So, you know, I carry a corkscrew in my bag. Um, but what I think I'm going to do actually is I'm going to get a, this is ground tech dop kit. And that's going to be my kind of main internal organization. And then my mod will be the second one. And then it's computer and then files essentially. So, um, yeah, I like that. And the tech top kit is a, a nice. It is really nice. Yeah, I haven't I haven't gotten one yet, but um, I was just deciding today. I think what size I'm going to get, and I think I'm going to go for a different color. I think I'm going to go for the the French gray. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I think so. it's like every you know my mod is kind of in this light brown toffee color. My satchel and page is a dark brown. 
um, leather. I've got this fantastic leather sleeve that uh, my mom got me for graduation, actually, as an extra graduation gift. Use as a you know laptop uh, sleeve or a portfolio for documents. Um, it's kind of this like darker reddish leather. I mean, it's it's beautiful too. Uh, so I was thinking, you know, I should change it up a little bit. Everything in the brown family, I don't really want to want to go black because that will kind of clash. But I think the French gray um, will be will be pretty sharp. You know, change it up a little bit. So, so that's kind of my setup. I'm super excited, obviously, about the satchel and page bag. So and yeah, that's awesome. This that's really you know, this also is why we not because I got a new bag, but because um, of graduation is why we took last week off. So yeah, yeah, and it was, I was going to say that at the top of the show. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. You are now graduated with a. I've now had a degree conferred upon me. Yes. So I think now it's appropriate, you know, to like sign my emails as doctor or whatever. Oh, I I would totally ride that train. I mean, I I feel weird when I do reverend because I'm not serving as a minister, but I I would totally get on that. You need some business cards to say Dr. Thomas Whitley. Yeah. So, well, I did, you saw, I I did um, print up a new stock of note cards. So on the back, I mean, mine are really simple, but on the back, I. I, you know, my line now is just from the desk of Dr. Thomas J. Whitley. So <laughs> I like it. Yeah. it. It's, it's, and I think people actually do like talking about our, our back setup. So let me just throw my little conundrum at you here. Now that I have the iPad, now that I have iPad, how <laughs> do, do you say that? So I, I, um, I've been carrying around a, this is ground riff, which is like this for people that don't know, it's the smaller version of their mod thing right so it, it's great and it's actually black because I, I bought it originally from mariana and then she didn't like the black so i got her <laughs> got first world problems right i got her <laughs> the the bomber leather one and she she loves it and she, that's her purse or you know her kind of everyday carry so i had a black one and so we had matching purses it's really cute but it fits uh like the iphone perfectly in my my field notes in the air but it was black so i had to order black field notes because you can't put a brown field notes notebook into a black right no of course not thing right yeah no the black uh, that's the way to go i think yeah and then i had black headphones that I, I love and then i had you know my my black iphone so everything kind of you know flowed and, and i really enjoyed holding that and, and using that like in business meetings and that kind of thing so i ended up getting um <laughs> this bag off of a, a recommendation from the everyday carry website called uh the nutsack is, is the name of the company and they, they started as Frisbee golf holders. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. They're out of Portland. So they're, they're very hipster. Uh, they probably wear flannel and have big beards. Uh, but, but the name, the name of the bag is the man bag. Damn it. Damn it. Uh, it's, or the MBD. And I put a link in the show notes, but it's this kind of a little small canvas bag and it's fantastic for holding the riff. And I was able to throw a couple of diapers in there and some of the kids stuff, you know, I mean, you talk about being stuck without a corkscrew, but I've been stuck without a backup diaper before, and that's not pleasant. Um, so everywhere I go, I <laughs> try to make sure I have the essentials of, of caring for a five-month-old right. uh, five-month-old kid. Um, and it's it's American-made, and it's heavy canvas, and it's it's really cool. So I've been using that in conjunction with the This Is Ground Riff. But now that I have this iPad, I was like, oh, what do I do? So I've, I've gone back to using this Dodo Case leather portfolio that I have which is really nice and beautiful and smells good. And I didn't use it that much to begin with, but this has been the first week I've really carried it around since then. Um, and it's good because I can, you know, kind of have this in between of not you know, having to carry a big right. bag. And since the iPad fits into it, it, it works great. But when I go to the store, what do I do? You know, cause I, I got to carry two phones for, you know, work. Uh, and I don't always need to carry my iPad. Um, the riff was perfect because I could throw the extra iPhone in and then put my personal phone in my in my pocket. And I was good to go. So that's been my my struggle because I don't want to have like a bag that I like the like the nutsack bag. <laughs> I don't want to have that bag and have you know the the diapers and all this stuff in it. And then if I do something else, I have to transfer that into another place. And I could buy extras of everything, but I don't know. It, it's it's frustrating because I haven't figured that out yet. Yeah, and there's links down in the show notes. All those yeah, that's products. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good. I mean, that's kind of like having to figure out the different levels of carry, like I was talking about. Um, and for me, it's like so. My most minimalist carry is iPhone six plus, no case, completely naked, 
Um, yeah, of course. You're not an animal. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Satchel and Page thin uh, leather wallet, which is beautiful. It goes great with my new Satchel and Page bag. Um, really, really thin, which I really like um, because in, yeah, in that I carry my ID, my debit card, and that's it. <laughs> like that's exactly that's what it. I do. Um, <laughs> right. And then keys if I have to have keys with me. So that's my minimal carry. Um, but oftentimes my my go-to carry now is the mod because it's got my notebook in there, it's got my iPad in there, it's got my, you know, I can drop my wallet down in there, I've got my pins, which, by the way, I'm now um, using this fantastic Keras custom. Uh, and we're not getting paid for any of this, people. We're just telling you like, what we love. <laughs> we sound, we sound <laughs> like those podcasts that I hate. <laughs> no, but uh, the, the machined aluminum... A shelf. We have matching pens, Thomas. The, it's wonderful. Um, for the G2. And it's, I've been using it for a week now, basically uh, um, only this. I mean, there's a few other cases where I've had to use some other pens for various reasons, <laughs> but uh, just fantastic. I mean, it's the same insert yeah. pen, but it writes so much better than the than the G2 does. It just feels better in your hands. Anyway, so... It's, it's a fantastic pen. I'd, I'd highly suggest if, if you have the means to buy a $70 pen. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's that. Think right? about this. <laughs> that that basically is just a, a <laughs> dressed up G two, yeah. Um, you know that you can get a five pack for five bucks, but still, it, it is it's a fantastic pen, and it, yeah, it's my everyday pen. I'm never without it. But yeah, it, it's tough because I I mean I, I in my pocket I always have a little Phoenix flashlight and my open yell French knife and. You know, so those are covered, but like, like a wallet is, I don't know. I just don't like the idea of this big, you know, kind of George Costanza bifold wallet. It's got oh, yeah, all your no, stuff. I can't do that. I can't do that. If I get any receipts, they get taken out and recorded the day, uh, like that day when I get back. That's what Evernote's for. Right. Exactly. You just, <laughs> yeah, snap it and put it in Evernote. That's true. Um, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Um, yeah, this is good. You know, it's, I mean, I'd like to hear like if if other people like what their kind of everyday carry situation is. I mean, you and I think about this probably way more than most people do. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, it's 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 like a hobby. Yeah, I mean, and that's what it is. It is. It is a hobby. But yeah, I'd be interested in that. So, but here's here's what I really want to know, Sam. I want to know why you hate Justin Timberlake's new song so much. <laughs> I don't hate it. It's 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 a. It's like that pen, you know, it's a well-produced piece of um, stuff that appeals to a lot of people, right? But but there's a formula behind it, you know, and the, the guts are just a, a Pilot G2, you know, ink cartridge. It's not like you're buying your ink from, you know, artisanal Guatemalan virgins who are, you know, squeezing the, the berries out of... <laughs> artisanal Guatemalan virgins. You know, whatever. Uh, you know, you don't have to go to Portland to buy the buy the ink for this pen. So, so the soul of the pen isn't that special, but it's but it's dressed up and it looks good, right? And that's kind of how I feel about this song, and that's terrible. Um, it's I mean, it's super it, catchy. I think it is. Super um, catchy. I mean, by the second listen, you have to dance. Um, I think, right? You're gonna dance, dance, dance. That's what it's, uh, the song says. Um, is that what the song yeah, says? So, yeah, I don't know. Super catchy. I'm a big fan of Justin Timberlake, particularly like his more recent stuff, his early stuff, like what Backstreet Boys and stuff. Yeah. But his more recent stuff like 2020 and things like that, I think are great. I re- you know, I really kind of I really like him as a musician. So, yeah, I like I, this. I like the kind of right. You feel good. That's what I was saying in the pre-show, like windows down you know, in the summer, uh, particularly today. Like it's an insane day in Tallahassee. It was like. 60 degrees this morning which is really really cool what so i mean it's just great it's not quite um sweltering though it was last weekend for graduation so that was great but um you know perfect day to day windows down a little bit of cool nice breeze like yeah like this song i don't know you know so it, it's gonna we're gonna hear it everywhere right i mean so just drop today friday may 6th uh, we're gonna hear it everywhere this summer so uh, well, you are. But that's that's the beauty of living outside of culture. Spotify and your own, <laughs> exactly. Uh, Pandora and all that stuff. I've got my uh, my David Bowie, my Beatles, and I'm going to be a okay grumpy old man. I'm trying to find uh, this link. This was early this morning before I was sufficiently caffeinated. There was a link from Facebook. If 
from one of my friends about this music generator. I can't find it now. Anyway, it it played the top song of like every day going back to the 1950s, I believe. So you could plug in a year and say like 1998 and it would play the top songs in succession and, you know, just in like little five, 10 right. second things or however long it was at, at the top. And then each day would scroll by very quickly. So if, if, you know, there was a, a one hit wonder kind of a song, it would go up and down. Anyway, it, it was really fascinating. So I listened to like 1996 through 2000, which was when I was in college. And it was like a trip down memory lane because I hadn't thought about these songs in a long time. But yeah, it's that ear candy type stuff that, that, um, you know, it's kind of kind of flows. Might have been Rolling Stone. I, anyway, I'll I'll find it and put it down in the show notes. It's it's a really oh here it goes Billboard how music evolved 1958 through 2016. Uh, uh, this is by Polygraph actually. And let me put this in the show notes so you can check so it you out. Probably just lose like an entire day in that. Yeah, I mean it's it's really interesting because you you kind of want to watch and then you see like. Uh, Elton John's Candle in the Wind, yeah, you know, come on. And they play like the whole song because it was at the top of the charts for so long. Or like a Celine Dion thing or, you know, one of Michael Jackson's yeah, Thriller right. in 1984. Right. Um, so anyway, it's pretty interesting. Uh, but yeah, so, so you like the song. I'm probably not going to ever hear it again, thankfully. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I, I could be like you and, you and McGregor and just go out into the desert. You could. You could. And then you would certainly not hear it. Um yeah, I don't know. That was that was actually not a horrible segue, but I just kind of dropped the ball on that one. You, you totally dropped the ball there. I'm trying not to type on my right because you have a really loud keyboard. Yeah. So okay. Okay. So yeah, we'll we'll tell them what they why we're even talking about Ewan McGregor, who by the way is a <laughs> is a great singer, right? I mean, which I didn't know honestly until Moulin Rouge. Um, did you ever see Moulin Rouge? I I escaped. Uh, seeing that. Okay, no, I so I, I'm not. I'm not into the music. Okay, so I generally am a fan of musicals. Uh, I will say my favorite of all time is Newsies. I think um, it was really kind of life changing to me when I was young. Um, young Christian Bale, <laughs> is that what you right, the hat? who can't really dance. I don't know. Like I, I can, I can get behind that. And they're like, is that why you wear the hat? The, the newsboy hat. Yeah, the newsboy hat. Right. And so it's all about like you know Joseph Pulitzer and William Randolph Hearst and yellow journalism around the turn of the century. Right. I mean, it's it's great. And it's a bunch of singing. I don't know. And so anyway, I'm a big fan of Newsies. Um, the, the first time, by the way, the first time uh, I ever heard of you, uh, our friend Danny Goodman, who was our professor, said, Sam, uh, you know, I found your, your, your soulmate and you guys are going to get along great. He just started this year. Um, you know, when you get back to campus, I'll introduce you. And I'm thinking, oh, OK, cool. So uh, he, he told me who you were. And I was like, oh, is he that weird guy that wears the, the newsboy hat? <laughs> and he was like, just just go with it. And uh, and here we are. And here we are. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah. So anyway, so, okay, Newsies, Moulin Rouge, good musical. But Ewan McGregor is in there, and I think that's a fantastic voice. Uh, though, sadly, I don't think he's singing in uh, this new movie, right? So the new movie is Last Days in the Desert. Um, it um, debuted at, what, Sundance, I think. Is that right? Um, but it's coming yeah, out Sundance. next week. It's going to be released in theaters next week, maybe. Uh, middle of May, I think it was. Uh, and so it's it's kind of about it's about Jesus. Um, Ewan McGregor plays Jesus and Lucifer. Um, and in the movie, I think throughout they call him Yeshua and the demon. Um, and it's kind of trying to portray the human side of Jesus, which I really like. You know, if you listen to this show for any length of time, you probably you know will know that we both like those. You know, kind of like that. You know, meaningful for a lot of people. But I also kind of like the idea of. Um, Jesus and like the de- the devil being two sides of one coin, right? Kind of the, yeah, the, person, you know, the same person playing both characters. So I'm excited about it because it seems like um, we've had this spate of just horrible Jesus things lately, right? I mean, these TV shows and movies that are just not that great. So I'm really, you know, uh, excited about this kind of new, different, you know, somewhat different take on, on the story. Well, I mean... It, it... He is being played by a white guy. I mean, there's that, right? You know, or Scottish. Which is, <laughs> yeah. Eh. Um, uh, the, the, the director said, uh, or the article here that we're going to link to is out of Religion News Service. And they say, as Oscar So White has turned a spotlight on concerns about diversity in film, including the near universal portrayal of Jesus as white, 
Garcia, who's the writer and director, says, uh, did I think at the time, OK, we're going to cast a white actor to play Jesus? Yes, I did think it. You think of everything. But in the end, I have to tell my story. I cannot apologize for having chosen an actor that proves me right in that I think his portrayal of the of the humanity of Jesus is absolutely terrific, which <laughs> it's not really right. an explanation. No, it's not. <laughs> and if you read the if you read on in the story, right, he says like he decided on Ewan McGregor after like spending time, you know, their family spent time together over the holidays. Like, okay, well, you're not just spending time with say the next grade Palestinian actor over the holidays, right? <laughs> right. So I mean, let, right. like, let's think about this for a little bit and kind of the circles you're running in. Um, like, I like Ewan McGregor. I think he's fine. Um, he was a good Obi Wan. Yeah. So, but it's. It is kind of funny. It's like, yeah, I thought about it. But it, it also kind of fits into this, like, um, you know, you hear all these people, you know, middle-aged white guys saying, like, oh, we don't need affirmative action. We just need the best person for the job. Which just turns out for you every time the best person for the job is a white middle-aged <laughs> Have you looked around the boardroom lately? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So the, the response kind of fits that. Though Garcia is not, you know, a white middle-aged guy. Um, he's Mexican, isn't he? I think he is, yeah. yeah so, I mean, and he's, you know, I think talented, but... It was kind of funny, yeah, that that response, but it's okay. I mean, everybody knows Jesus is white. Uh, the the idea, I think, uh, kind of the the main thrust behind the movie is, is exploring that humanity of Jesus. And in the in the trailer, it talks about uh, you know anger issues and yeah. and the the lust and all these uh, sort of complicated human emotions and. We we get some of that in films like Last Temptation of Christ, Jesus Christ or Superstar, Jesus Christ Superstar, right? Where, but it's always in the context of the Mary Magdalene yes. thing, yep. um, you know. And she was a prostitute, and he, he was tempted by her, which you know, not true. Um, not that he wasn't tempted by her, but yeah, you know, she was. She was not a prostitute. Right. That's yeah. Uh, right. We all know they were married <laughs> and had babies. <laughs> that's obvious. Hey, I'm, I'm going full Dan Brown on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and and they started the Merovingian line. Um, the Plantagenets today secretly run the world with skull and bones. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really kind of a, a cool concept to go after Jesus's uh, humanity. Because we, we talk about things like the historical Jesus. And at the end of the day, what we always say is, well, we, we don't know. We can't know. We can just make assumptions based on other, you know, sort of corroborating evidence from around that time and you know, based on what we know about first century Judaism, which is very little. And this is kind of the picture we come up with. And Jesus becomes this abstract thing. It's, it's, it's almost like the Buddha. Right. Right. And, and Jesus as a person doesn't exist. It's the portrayals of Jesus, especially as, you know, white guys um, that we have. And, and some of that goes into the humanity portion. And we like to think, you know, yeah, Jesus wept and Jesus bled and, you know, he, he got angry and John, but, you know, how how did modern 21st century people in, in all of their various contexts keep that humanity of Jesus in, in mind? Um, so, yeah, maybe this will spark some conversations. I hope so. I'm hopeful. I mean, I don't know. Like, what's the what are the kind of odds on this? Right. Like, how many bad Jesus movies do you have to have before you get a good one? I'm hoping this is a good one. You know, we've had plenty <laughs> of bad ones. So, well, it, it, you think about something like Mel Gibson's. You know, crucifixion the movie, whatever Christ, else. Yeah. yeah, right. And it's kind of a similar idea, or that's how it was marketed, was, you know, we're talking about the humanity of Jesus and how much he suffered. Yeah, um, but it was and just I think that's, torture porn is all that was. Yeah, totally, totally. Opus Day. But I think that's what most people associate with, with the humanity of Jesus. You know, and they might think about him yelling at his mom or, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but where was Jesus as a teenager? Where was Jesus in his 20s? You know, those questions that, that we all have that we don't really get to you know explore. The, the movie that needs to be made, honestly, uh, and I'd, I'd pitch in for a Kickstarter. On, like, I'd, I don't, fun, you know, I don't fund any Kickstarters or anything like that. I'd pitch in on a Kickstarter for this. Um, Lamb, the gospel according to Biff, Christ, oh, Childhood, Pal. Christopher Yes, Moore. absolutely amazing book. And it's this, like... All like you're talking about all these questions and, and the way I try to tell people, it's obviously super irreverent. Um, but I try to explain to people like 
any idea that you've ever had, like you've ever heard about, like just crazy idea you've ever heard that somebody float about Jesus did this or Jesus did that, most of that's in the book, right? So you get this like, oh, he went to the East and learned like meditation and Kung Fu, right? And you get this, like, I don't know, all this stuff, it's just hilarious. So there's a great scene where like Jesus can't sin, which is, you know, playing on this. And um, so he has to have Biff, his pal, um, like have sex with prostitutes and explain it to him so he understands like what humanity is going through. I don't know, just absolutely fantastic, fantastic book. Uh, that's a yeah, that's a Jesus movie I'd like to see get made. Uh, here's the uh, here's the Amazon description. The birth of Jesus has been well chronicled as has his as have his glorious teachings, acts, and divine sacrifice after his thirtieth birthday. But no one knows about the early life of the Son of God, <laughs> the missing years, except Biff, the Messiah's best buddy who has been resurrected to tell the story in a divinely hilarious yet heartfelt work reminiscent of Vonnegut, Kurt Vonnegut, yeah. who's one of my favorites, and Douglas Adams, uh, of course, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Verily, the, the story Biff has to tell is a miraculous one filled with remarkable journey, magic, healings, kung fu, corpse reanimations, demons, and hot babes. <laughs> Which, pardon the phrase, but if you read the book, you'll get it. Even the considerable wiles and devotion of the Savior's pal may not... Be enough to divert Joshua from his tragic destiny, but there's no one who loves Josh more, except for maybe Maggie or Mary right. of uh, Magdala. And Biff isn't about to let his extraordinary pal suffer and ascend without a fight. <laughs> and it's uh, it starts off and he's talking to Lucan, <laughs> who, of course, is you know the author of Luke Acts. Um, yeah, it's it's so good. Yeah. It, anyway, so good yeah, call, that's, good that's the Jesus movie I want to see get made. Yeah, man, that'd I be great. I don't know how. Like, it's, you know, not everyone, like, it's not like the book just came out this past year. Like, it's been out for a, a while now, a decade or more, right? It's about 10 years. Yeah, it's like t- uh, 2004. Yeah. yeah. So, so, like, I, I just don't know how nobody's picked it up. I mean, it, yeah, I don't know. It's a great, it's a great, I think it would, it's a great book, and I think it's one that would make a great movie. So, it, it's sort of like, to me, it's, it's Vonnegut meets Neil Gaiman meets kind of like. Yeah. It, it, it has a reverence to right. it, but it's a reverent right. reverence, yeah, yeah. right? So it's kind of like Monty Python-esque yes. in that sense. Um, yeah, great book. Good call on that. I know Marianne, uh, Marianne and, and uh, Elizabeth talk about it on Thinking Out Loud. Um, and everybody I've talked to, whether they're Christian or atheist or whatever, they they really like the book and they always enjoy it. So if you haven't read that, go read it. Um, yeah, because but like you said, there's, there's really not a whole lot of good stuff. That was actually my first sermon. Uh, thinking back was where was Jesus when he was a teenager? Yeah. Cause I, I preached when I was uh, a teenager. It was like 14 or 15. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I preached on a youth Sunday and, and uh, it was around the time of like Kurt Cobain and Nirvana being, I think Kurt Cobain had just killed himself or just died. And I got up in, you know, rural South Carolina and gave this sermon about, you know, here's my hero because I don't know who Jesus was. <laughs> and uh, that didn't go over so well. But, uh, you know, but it was a, I remember the sermon. I don't, I don't remember what I said, but basically it was, you know, how are we as teenagers supposed to navigate through this religion and stuff when you've made Jesus so abstract to us and there's no real touch point? Um, you know, it's like, oh, well, don't worry about Jesus until you get to be 30. Like, right. <laughs> like Jesus didn't worry about Jesus, right? Well, that's one of the uh, one of the reasons I'm I'm kind of excited about the Ewan McGregor film is because I think that kind of the humanity aspect of it is it's much more meaningful for a lot of people because it's something they can connect with and identify with whatever your opinion, like maybe, Oh, he's God. We shouldn't be able to identify with him. Okay. That's fine. Then don't watch the movie. But for most people, I think that's something that, that, you know, can actually impact their lives. So, you know, in, in whatever way, like if you wanted to or not, but so. Oh, just, just realizing that Jesus, you know, whether he was the son of God or not is a theological thing, but right. For the most part, we can be, relatively certain that there was a historical Jesus of, or, you know, Yahshua of, of Nazareth who existed at, at some point. Um, we don't know the, any of the details, but, you know, so having that in mind and, and not making it so abstract is, I think, helpful and opens up conversations. I would like to know more about the life of Buddha, you know, or, or people like Confucius, you yeah. know, who, who we, we throw out there and we don't, we don't really know what, what Confucius was, uh, was right. up to. For Buddha, it's like, we're all upset like when we do Jesus stuff like oh was it between it was between 6 and 4 BC like I wish we could really nail this down and you know 
uh, Buddhism scholars are like, yeah, we have like a 500 year span where we, <laughs> right. like, we haven't narrowed down to that when we think Buddha may have lived. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's, that's really fascinating. Um, or even Muhammad, you know, and, and asking some historical questions about, you know, the, the origins of Islam can get you into trouble. Um, you know, but we can, and honestly, like Islamic, you know, Islamic studies, right. Um, Islamic studies is kind of just now, particularly in the West, as it were, um, doing more of that. I mean, they're they're way behind kind of biblical studies in that regard, um, right? We've kind of been working on the same text for so long, we're just having to come up with new ways to talk about it, right? I mean, that's, you know, God, I can't even imagine what it would be like trying to write a New Testament dissertation in these days. That's why I just went later and dealt with other group, you know, group nobody ever talked about and sex. <laughs> um, but... But this is a you'd have to have more footnotes than actual text. Yeah, this is a big issue um, in Islamic studies, and they are slowly but surely, and not just you know uh, secular scholars, but you know a lot of you know adherents, you know pers- people that are personally practitioners, are doing some great scholarship as well. But pushing this kind of you know historical criticism um, that we did two hundred years ago in New Testament studies. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to see that, and but you know there are aspects of of Christian scholarship even, uh, but, but definitely kind of mainstream Christianity where people don't, re- you know, if you go to a church, you can't really talk about what the Sermon on the Mount was about because you don't, you don't want to hurt someone's feelings or you can't say, you know what, this probably didn't happen this way and it's only in Matthew and, um, you know, here, here's the surrounding context and these might've been sayings of Jesus, but this was written way later. So did Jesus say these actual words? Probably not, um, you know, but maybe he said something that was a, a lasting memory. And to say that in some churches will, you know, get you beaten up as well. Um, so, it, you know, even in Christianity, we have this yes. kind of hands off with the history stuff where, you know, don't don't tell me that Jesus really wasn't born in Bethlehem. Right. Yeah. So. No, I, th- I think you're right. It's just it's a lot worse within Islamic studies, but they're oh, but totally, they're moving totally, in the right totally. direction. I think. I mean, we're gonna it's, it's gonna be really another fascinating. Or fifty years uh, before we get like you know what we need, but yeah. yeah, and it's really fascinating when you when you look at the work that has been done and and some of the you know literary sort of uh, uh, critical studies of of the Quran and you know where it really came from and what was going on and the sociological study, and um, I, I just find that. Really, really fascinating. I think it's it's like because of what you said when you when you study the Bible as much as we do. Now, <laughs> when you study the Bible and you realize the depth of scholarship is, you know, particularly in the United States and Europe, and you try to say something new or you you try to figure out, okay, is the Sermon on the Mount similar to the Sermon on the Plain, and where do they overlap? There's just so much there, and it's it's like you said, it's hard to say anything new or hard to figure out what the consensus is on a certain issue because, you know, there's so many voices in the, in the conversation, which is a good thing, and it you know it shows the need for discernment and education, um, you know. But when a preacher gets up and I'm in a <laughs> I'm in a service and the preacher says, well, you know, here's what scholars say about the Sermon on the Mount, it's like, well, that's. <laughs> Making a mighty big statement right, there, buddy. Yeah, like you read Ben Witherington. Yeah, here, like, good job. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here's what scholars think about Paul. It's like, ah, oh, that's that's not really what yeah. scholars think about Paul. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's that sort of burden of, of knowing so much that you can't say anything. Yeah, right. Um, right. So, anyway, I think that's fascinating. Um, speaking of knowing so much that you can't say anything new... Um, <laughs> Happy Cinco de Mayo. Oh, yeah, Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, I appreciated your picture yesterday that you sent to me. Well, that's <laughs> I sent you another one this morning. Um, uh, and now I had a, uh, a baked potato for right. lunch. Yeah. And uh, I posed with my thumb up and I said, hey, you know, Harrelson Agency makes the best baked potatoes. I love the Irish. Yeah. I was going to send one back, but I had to get ready for the show with uh, yeah. me and my bourbon and say, you know, I have the best <laughs> bourbon. I love the Kentuckians. Thanks, Kentucky. <laughs> right. So Donald Trump yesterday broke the internet. Um, he he posted a picture of himself uh, eating a taco bowl. <laughs> Which, how American can you get? Right, like a white man in a suit in an office eating a taco right. bowl on Cinco de Mayo. Wow. Um, so he he was eating a taco bowl and he he tweeted, "Trump Grill makes the best taco bowls." 
the Hispanics love me. Hashtag Cinco de Mayo. No, no, I love Hispanics. I love the Hispanics. I love the Hispanics. I'm sorry. I was paraphrasing. Um, the best uh, what was it? the best taco bowls in the world are made right here at Trump Grill or something like that. <laughs> I love Hispanics. Happy, like, hashtag Happy Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what to say about it. And it's... You, you, you think... Okay, he's he's won the nomination. Every everyone's dropped out, you know. Unless Jesus comes back at the Republican yeah, convention. Spoiler says, alert! By the way, if you didn't know this already, <laughs> yeah. um, everybody on the Republican side is out now. Uh, Cruz dropped out. Apparently, God did not actually want him to be president, uh, at least not right now. And uh, then Kasich did the next day, and then there was one. Did you see the the uh, story uh, written by? A lady who went to Yale with Cruz, who was on the debate team. No, oh, no, no. She she was on the debate team at Yale, and she was in the same circles as he was because he was Mister Master De- Master Debater, Mister <laughs> Master Debater, um, and she would frequently have to go up against him in competition. And she's stayed in touch with him his entire career, and she's actually argued with him and against him uh, at the Supreme Court, and. <laughs> Uh, she said he was absolutely horrific at these competitions because he would yell and scream and kind of people would cringe. You know, and she said she remembers people visibly like holding the edge of the table as he talked because it was as if he thought he was Seneca on the on the Roman steps and making grand proclamations. So and not much has changed. Right. And she was like, everything was so scripted and, and even his emotional pleas or whatever. And not that people gave him you know, the win out of compassion, <laughs> but it, she kind of made it sound like, you know, he won by force of will rather than by talent. A lot of right. times, um, you know, when you're in a shouting match and someone shouts louder, you just kind of shut, you know, shut down and say, okay, fine. You're right. You're, you're right. You're right. You're right. Or at least that's how it works with Marianne and <laughs> myself. <laughs> uh, uh, you're right. I'm, I'm an idiot. Um, so, then she worked with him at a couple of law firms, or works as a colleague at a couple of law firms. And then uh, she was saying how it wasn't until Cruz got to the Supreme Court and he was able to argue there in this grand theatrical you know, situation with the big red curtains and there's no TV. And it's, you know, it feels like you're stepping back into the, into the 19th century when you're in that room. And I've, I've been there before and I've, I've heard part of an argument and it really is. I mean, it, it's unlike any courtroom you've, you've had to sit through if you've ever had to do that. But, um, it's you know kind of a surreal, grand experience like the founders had intended. And she said he thrived in that. And his his career would have been much more successful if he had stayed uh, <clears throat> kind of in private practice and or, you know, even as like a solicitor, but not gotten into the political side of things. But, you know, definitely stayed in, in the um, in the more legal scholarly side of things. Cause she said he was an amazing attorney there because that's, you know, <laughs> that's what he did best. And that was his element, if you will. Um, anyway, long story, but it was a fascinating article. I, I really, I didn't think I was going to read it. You know, it's one of the things you click on and say, oh, that's, that's cool. And I started reading it and she was a, a great storyteller. Uh, so yeah, Trump, Trump wins and I thought he was going to go mainstream, if you will. Sorry, my puppy decided to join us. I thought he was going to go, um, you know, kind of general election mode where you, where you start cleaning up the edges and you start polishing the, you know, the roughness out of your message and, and you, make that move to appeal to new voters. And as Prince Rebus, the head of the Republican Party, <laughs> has already said, <laughs> I love calling yeah. him that, the only way we're going to win is by attracting new voters and by unifying the party. Because Republicans traditionally win in low turnout elections or they win um, in places where they can really rally the base. So that's why during election years you see things like marijuana and gay marriage amendments being put up by the Republican exactly. Party. on the ballot to get people out for those social issues so they'll also vote for Republicans right. up, higher up the ticket. Yep, because we Democrats, and I say we, I'm not 100% Democrat at all. Uh, Democrats, I'm, I'm speaking very... Broad generalizations, that's okay. We'll just make yes. proclamations Scholars. Here. Say. Scholars. <laughs> Democrats believe. Democrats are what's part of our... We're pretty smug, right? And we think, oh, well, of course we're going to pass this, or of course people are going to vote this way because, you know, we're not idiots. And yeah, people should be able to smoke weed. Come on. I mean, just tax it and 
alcohol is way worse. And everybody knows, you know, you can't beat your wife. And sure, if you're transgender, go to the girls' bathroom. Like, that's okay. But that's not how the world works. Right. And, you know, rose-colored glasses aren't always the, the best prescription. Wow, that's good. I got to write that one down. I'm a poet. Um, so, anyway, uh, he, he's not doing that, clearly. <laughs> uh, although, it, it just floated over the Twitters that uh, Trump is going to meet with uh, Paul Ryan. He, he agrees to meet with Paul Ryan uh, because of uh, Rince Priebus's work and uh, before they go their separate ways. But uh, this morning, Trump suggested that Ryan is unfit to be speaker and <laughs> he's, he's not the best thing for the Republican Party. Uh, so, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see if Trump can, A, you know, unify the party and, B, get new voters. Yeah, well, uh, and, I mean, so he's obviously... I got, love the Hispanics. It's not going to do yeah, it. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, right, there's a reason that it's a joke now anytime somebody talks about having black friends, right? Like, that clearly means you don't actually have black friends if you have to say you have black friends, right? You clearly don't love Hispanics. You have to say, I love Hispanics. Um, so, but, <laughs> I know lots of gay people. Right, yeah. Some of my best friends are gay. <laughs> um, but <laughs> So what's been interesting, right, is to watch the kind of endorsements roll in, right? Which is what you and I have been saying for weeks is going to happen. Trump is going to win the nomination and – I mean, I still thought even if they stayed in, Cruz and Kasich stayed in, he would get to 1237 before the convention anyway. But thought Trump is going to win the nomination and everybody, most everybody's just going to fall in line behind him. And largely that's what we've been seeing, right? Rick Perry says, oh, I'll endorse him. Oh, yeah, sure. I might consider being VP. I want to help out in any way that I can. Um, right. And so all these people saying, oh, I'm endorsing Trump. And by the way, hey, Donald, you know, think about me for VP. Um and Donald's like, okay, sure. Ben Carson's in charge of that. So we see how that's going to go, I guess. Um, <laughs> God, he's going to evaluate the fruit salads of their life. Oh, God. Okay. And so so it's been interesting to watch the endorsements, right? We've expected to see them. I expected to see them roll in. Um, because honestly, I still stand behind my belief that the problem for most Republicans is not what Trump has been saying. It's how he's been saying it. Um, I, I think that's that's a problem. They don't like his his messaging, but they don't disagree with, largely with what he's saying in a lot of respects. Now, there are some where he is kind of not towing the party line, um, which are really interesting things. Um, but in a lot of respects, it's not like it's not the Republicans are great for women and Trump is not right because Trump said, I'm going to be great for women. Um, I'm going to be the best, right? Republicans in general are still trying to defund Planned Parenthood and effectively overturn Roe v. Wade, even without going back to the courts and things like that. And Trump is too. The problem is Trump says, oh, they should, women, yeah, there should be a punishment for the woman who gets an abortion. And then he tried to walk that back. And the Republicans are like, oh, that's absolutely crazy. We would never say something as heinous as that, except that's the natural, logical conclusion for, you know, kind of the main. Uh, position on that. So anyway, it, the problem is not what Trump's been saying; it's how he's been saying it. But you know, it's interesting to see the fallout because not everyone is endorsing him, right? And so the big thing today, everybody, you know, everybody in the media is in love with right now is here are the Republicans who are not endorsing Trump, right? So you get Lindsey Graham, you get uh, George H. W. Bush, you get George Bush uh, W. Um, so but you know, some interesting people that have come out and said, I cannot vote for him, I will not vote for him or support him. Um, and then fallout in various realms of the Republican Party. And then all, this is kind of reaching into evangelicalism as well. And so you'll remember that Jerry Falwell Jr., the president of Liberty University, the largest evangelical university in the world, endorsed Donald Trump um, a couple months ago, just apparently loves the guy. And uh, now a board member has resigned over that um, from Liberty. So it's interesting, right? There's kind of fallout in a bunch of different circles and it's you know raises serious questions about can donald trump actually unify the party um you know i put this question out on facebook you know what are like my republican friends going to do because i have plenty of republican friends um now that trump's the nominee and a lot of them don't like trump and you know some of them are saying well honestly i'm gonna write in somebody like i can't vote for either one right because that's kind of their you know some some evangelicals convictions they can't vote for clinton or trump um so you have to have a unified republican party and you have to bring in more voters new voters and you have to have depressed turnout i think for trump to win um 
and we're not seeing those factors come together just yet. But, you know, we're talking about Trump. I mean, we, we haven't even said Clinton yet. And all the media today, I'm looking at you know, my crazy tweet deck thing here, and it's all Trump all the time. Right, but, but it might not be bad, actually, right? So I was reading somebody, I can't remember who it was now, um, so I can't give the credit, and I apologize for that. But basically saying, um, regardless of whether the general election race actually is close or not, right, because the, the Republican primary race has not been close, really, ever, honestly. Trump has run away with it. Nobody wanted to believe it. But you kind of, you know, there's this talk about, oh, it's so close, and we're gonna see what happened. And you know, maybe Rubio, you know, he's still got a chance, and you know, Jeb, don't call it a comeback Bush. Um <laughs> right, but but regardless of what the polls look like, and right now it looks like Clinton is gonna um, could win by a landslide, that the narrative will be that, oh, it's super close, because uh, the idea, at least, is you have to scare people into coming out to vote against Trump. And that's part of the way that what? you get turnout up is you talk about Trump more. You talk about how bad he is. You talk about you know, dangerous Donald. Um, and you talk <laughs> we'll about it that being that close when maybe it's not actually so close. But in Trump, I, I'm, or Trump's organization, but I think Trump gets that it takes the average American, you know, six to six to eight times you know, uh, to, to hear something right. in order for them to, you know, start either accepting it or believing it or, or thinking it. So, you know, in marketing, we have this concept of, of, of saturation. So does Coca-Cola and McDonald's really need to be two of the top advertisers in the world? No, everyone knows Coca-Cola, everyone knows McDonald's, but they still are two of the top advertisers year after year after year. And the reason is saturation, because you don't want people to forget about you. And that's especially true now in the age of social media, where we're not all watching, you know, Dan Rather at 6 p.m. Um, and you see those ads are, are, you know, mostly for a certain demographic. But, you know, now that we have Facebook and Twitter and this and that and the web, um, you know, that that's especially true. Uh, and, and I think Trump gets that. And yeah, I, I think he's true. played the media really well and, you know, in terms of being just, you know, saturation. And people on Facebook, me included, will, you know, click on an article and say, don't show me anything like this again, <laughs> because sometimes I just want to see pictures of my friend's babies. I don't want to see another article about crazy Donald. And I, I think the Clinton campaign up to this point is not showing me that they, they understand that. Um, there's an article in Gawker that, that really puts the message out there that, that I've been feeling <laughs> and, and my worries, I guess. Um, it says, uh, the Clinton campaign has been giving a, a tremendous gift, and I'm sure they know it, but they better not effing blow it. Uh, there's no need to panic yet. It's still very unlikely that Trump will be our next president. Uh, while Trump winning the nomination also seemed unlikely, the two situations differ in, in uh, one pretty important respect. Trump consistently led in primary, primary election polls since last summer. Meanwhile, he has never beaten Clinton head-to-head -head in any general election poll. Uh, so they, they talk about what the Clinton campaign could do and... They could run a small C conservative type campaign where you just, you know, you pound the issues and, and you be, you're positive and you're upbeat. Or um, it says they could call him, I don't know, Dangerous Donald. <laughs> <laughs> dangerous Donald Democrats are going with Dangerous Donald. Did they try testing sexy Donald first? How about leather jacket Donald? Jared Leto living in an abandoned insane asylum for a month to get into character is Dangerous Donald. Um, since Tuesday, when Trump sealed the nomination, almost everything the Democrats have said about him reinforced his own message that yes he's dangerous and if you're going to go to his uh rallies you know they're, they're going to be crazy people there and it's going to be uh, lots of entertainment um and scroll down a little bit and it says uh oh, and they're also using loose cannon over and over right. again uh the, the democrats are his messaging um <laughs> a loose cannon actually isn't one that misfires it's one that breaks free of, of its restraints and dangerously rolls around right. the ship <laughs> which yes but come on um and scrolling on down it, it says dangerous donald the loose cannon uh, hated by loser republicans capable of, of doing anything that is all straight out of the orange idiots dream journal and it apparently is the line the democrats have decided to take they're going to build Trunnel, uh, donald trump up as a reckless and uh, viral, uh, viral force of nature and a true outsider, rather than expose him as a pitiful clown and an obvious fraud. That is completely backwards. As any writer who, who has ever received an angry personal response from Trump can tell you, you get under his skin by mocking and emasculating him. 
not by feeding the myth of his power and strength, the precise qualities his authoritarian followers adore. So, look, I'm not saying the Democrats are going to blow it, but they, uh, they're they more than capable of blowing it. Sorry to read all that, but I just thought that was no, that's great. That that's great. what I'm yes. feeling. And I'm like, okay, come on, Democrats. <laughs> um, yes, everyone knows Donald Trump cannot be president, but if you if you go down this path that they've gone down in the last week and you start throwing money at that, you're only reinforcing what Donald has been campaigning on, which is kind of mind-blowing if you think about it, but it's true. And it's the same thing yeah. that Bernie has been you know, campaigning on. You know, like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an outsider. I'm a loose cannon. There's a political revolution coming. Yeah, I, and, yeah no, I, I think uh, you're absolutely right. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, that Trump is able to do is, one, he's able to steal a news cycle, and two, he's able to make people play on his turf um, and, you know, to play his game. And that's, you, you know, you're, you might win that way, but it's going to be a lot harder than it should be. Um, and yeah, I, I think that they need to get out ahead of it some. They need to be creating some of their own news cycles, not with just like, you know, outlandish stuff, but they need to put Donald on the defensive, which he's not been on very much um, in this campaign. I mean, right, one debate, maybe everybody attacked him and like that yeah. was it. So, I, I don't know. When the Republicans got to this at the end, like they realized the error of their ways by trying to say, oh, he's, you know, dangerous Donald. Don't go down that, don't go down that path. But they never got to the point of not humiliating the guy, but you know, humiliating and, and emasculating him. Right. And really, you know, rattling his cage. Not until the very end when, you know, Rubio was trying to get the small hands thing going, um, which, you know, made the news cycle. And if you get these... Yeah, again, I'm going to be stereotypical. Uh, if you get the middle-aged, angry, white, you know, rural voter, if you get them questioning Donald Trump's, not his authenticity, but his masculinity and his ability to, you know, get things done in a manly way, that's going to be the, the thing that keeps them home. Yeah. Right? And and that's his base. So, you know, expose him as a, as a fraud. You don't need to convince California that Donald is dangerous. Like, California's not going to vote for right. Donald. Yeah. And and every, you know, body with a brain knows he's dangerous, but it's, you know, this sort of loud, saber-rattling group that, you know, for, for better or for worse, if if they feel like he's going to be their champion, they're going to show up, and they're going to show up in mass, and they're going to bring their wives, and, uh, you know, it's it's us Democrats who are going to say, oh, well, that, that can never happen, I'm not going to go vote, because, you know, whatever. Uh, that, that's how things go badly for Democrats. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, we have to, we should wrap it up here. We're um, up on an hour now. Um, so we've got some other things we want to talk about. We'll push those off to another show. But real quickly, we need to um, have, I don't know if I'm at the moment of silence because that seems kind of somber, um, but like a moment of praise for the declaration in the, in the New York Times that chest hair is back. Praise Jesus. <laughs> no, and it's that's a... It's a cultural moment for everyone. It is, and like, you know? right? I mean, I, I think men's chests everywhere will rejoice. We're gonna, it, we're gonna look like you know Lindsey Buckingham on the cover of the Fleetwood Mac album when he's got his shirt open yes. and all of his chest hair is falling out. So we're going back to the '70s idea, as the New York Times said, of you know lots of hair and happiness and and people being able to express themselves. Now the the question is, this summer, as you're listening to your Justin Timberlake on the beach. Are there going to be men walking around with, you know, prodigious chest hair? So, because you know, we, we've seen these things where the beard is dead, right? right? Yeah, and, like, and the beard's played you know, out. It's a trend. Like, okay, yeah, it's it's a fad that's only been around for five thousand years. But sure. <laughs> so, are men going to grow their beards and their hair and their and their chest hair out now? Well, I, th I think what we're going to see, I think we're going to see less of the, you know, it's going to take a little bit, but I think we are going to see a little bit less of the, like, completely waxed, like, nubile guys, right? I mean, it's like, and who, who like, who looks like that anyway? I mean, I don't know. Um, right, and we're, we're, of course, talking about societal expectations on men's body hair, and we're not even touching societal expectations on women's body hair, and how that hasn't changed in a long time in this country. Um, but... Um, we are qualified to talk about society's expectations on men's body. Care, right? <laughs> All right, I was going to say. So I can't. there we go. So we'll talk. Can't about talk about Amanda Palmer. Um, but yeah. yeah, I no, I think I think we'll see a little bit less of that. I I think we'll probably still see um, 
I don't know, right? Maybe like decently trimmed, maybe not like kind of out of control, like super 70s porn star look. Um, <laughs> right? Hopefully, we're not going to go with that and like the mustache and the bowl cut again. Like that's, I hope we don't go that direction. Uh, and I think it's going to be combined with, you know, a trim beard, like a beard, you know, not every, not every guy, but beards are, you know, getting trimmer now, no longer kind of the big hipster beard. Um, well, and, yeah. and it's, it's interesting to me to, to see, and you know, once you get to a certain age, I, I think you give up on all of this, but I, you know, right. for the, for the, those of us who think about these things in this demographic, um, a lot of it has so much of it has to do with what you said, sort of the conception of masculinity and being a white male in the United States is not the same as it was, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, so this notion of what is masculine now um, is really in flux. So I, I think, think we're too, gonna... I think what kind of masculine Right. Yeah, right, 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 right. Is, no, it, is it the Trump supporter? Like these kind of generalizations, these caricatures. Is it the Trump supporter masculine who's like, you know, never manscaped in his life? Damn it. Right. Like, is it that or is guy? It the guy who, like, or is it the or guy who blogs, you know, about his kids right. and, and takes Instagram pictures of, of his puppies, you know, which wouldn't have seen seemed masculine, you know, years ago. Right. But it's like it's like the cultured, learned guy that's masculine, like, you know, got a little bit of a stubble. Right. So, it, you know, maybe you know, a little bit of chest hair popping out of the shirt. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of different ideas, not just and they are kind of all vying for this arch of masculinity. But I also think that we have these different kind of avenues of masculinity as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so fascinating. And you see this with like you know, uh, bespoke post and this everyday carry thing that we are wrapped up in where it's like, Oh, I, I got to have a knife because you know, I'm a man and men carry knives. Um, you know, I got to have a good pen and I got to have a handkerchief in case a damsel is crying and, and you Here, balance that against every single day. I do too. I do yeah. too. But you know, like, like you said, we're balancing that against this realization that, Oh, in order to be that kind of a manly man, we can, hang out with our kids and take pictures and take them to the park. Still and, be like decent people. Yeah. <laughs> right. Not misogynist. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to, you know, we don't, we don't have to boss Betty Draper around and, and spank her when she doesn't cook its dinner. Yes. Although spanking Betty Draper would be. Okay. So the character. Oh, in character. It would be in character. <laughs> Not January Jones, who I, who I adore. Um, on that note. Yeah. Thank so you, we'll Thomas. leave you with it's a picture fun. of mine and Sam's chest hair. So. Conjure that up in your mind, if you will. It's turning gray. It's so sad. It's it's, it's distinguished, right? Well, I mean, hair on my head, yeah. But when I look in the mirror now, and I'm like, damn it, I, my chest hair is gray. Like, nothing makes you feel like an old man more than seeing your chest hair gray. I, I I'm really contemplating dyeing my chest hair. Don't, do don't tell my don't wife. Don't do it. Right? Don't yeah. Don't tell your wife on this very. Uh, you don't want to walk down the beach with with gray chest hair. I would do it. Shit, I don't care. <laughs> So you're you're a lot more honey badger than I am, though. I, I worry about these yeah, things. Yeah. All right. Um, so we took a week off. Hopefully, we made up for it this week. Um, I think we did. By the way, you know, in case you're wondering, I think we had an excellent show today. Uh, the greatest show. I mean, greatest podcast ever. You know, there's some podcasts out there. Podcasts great again. But um, yes, we're definitely making podcasts great again. Um, so you can follow us on our fantastic, I mean, great, absolutely gorgeous Twitter accounts that we have. Um, you can follow Sam at Sam Harrelson. You can follow me at Thomas Whitley and you can always find the best, greatest, uh, most informative podcast in the world at thinking.fm.